Now, a lot of you know I take classes at JSU, and last semester I took a class on probate court and probate law. And the probate judge of Calhoun County was my teacher, and she told me something that I didn't know, something that will stick with me probably the rest of my life. It struck me in a way that, you know, I will never forget this. And she said that, you know, there are a lot of people who die without a last will and testament. And some of these people have no close family. Their parents are deceased. They have no brothers or sisters. Uh, They have no spouse. They have no children. And they just leave everything in this estate with no one to inherit it. But they do have distant relatives that they don't have a relationship with. They're not close with. But these relatives are considered their next of kin. Legally, we would call them heirs at law. They have a right to claim the state that this deceased person has left. The only problem is they have no idea whatsoever about this inheritance. They have no clue that the things of this estate belong to them. They live never knowing the reality of the inheritance that is theirs by law. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the spiritual blessings we've received in Christ. And we see that God has graciously blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven. And this is to the praise of His glory. So today we're going to look at one last spiritual blessing in this beautiful section of praise that Paul has written to the to the church at Ephesus. And unlike those heirs, he is writing to those heirs at law. He is writing to us to tell about an inheritance that we have in Christ. This inheritance is something that we can be sure about. You know, the overall theme of the book of Ephesians is that God is uniting all things in Christ. And we see this coming about through the fact that God is working out His purposes according to the counsel of His will. So how do we live in this reality that we have an inheritance in Christ? How do we respond to this blessing? We should respond by living encouraged by this truth. We should respond in joy. We should respond by living in the peace that this gives us. We should be ecstatic. But I think oftentimes we let our worries and our anxieties, our doubts, get the best of us. We worry about our past when we think we're not fit for this inheritance. We worry that our sins disqualify us from this inheritance. Or we may go the opposite direction. We're just not excited about it. The things of the world captivate our hearts. The things of the the world rule our hearts. And we don't look forward to this inheritance because we don't want to give up what we have. So we go through life never knowing the comfort and the security that we have that we've been blessed with in Christ. 
But in verses 11 through 14, Paul shows us the sweetness and the beauty of this inheritance. He shows us how we've been positioned to receive it and he guarantees that it's ours. Paul shows us the reality of our inheritance and why we can trust that we will receive it. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 11. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So today we're going to look at three reasons why we can be confident in our inheritance. Three reasons why we can be sure that we have obtained this inheritance. In Christ. The first reason is we can be confident in our inheritance because in the Son it is already a reality. We can be confident in our inheritance because in the Son it is already a reality. Let's look back at verse 11. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Once again, Paul puts the emphasis on the fact that this spiritual blessing, this blessing of inheritance, like all the others, is only obtained through Christ. Jesus is the source of our inheritance. It is because of His merit that we have obtained it. Apart from Him, we would have a hopeless future. But praise God that None of these blessings are on account of our choices or our actions. In Christ, God accomplishes His purposes. In Christ, it's possible for us to receive the benefits of these blessings. In fact, Paul is so sure about the reality of our inheritance in Christ that he can go on to say that we have obtained this inheritance. How can Paul use this past tense word obtained here in verse 11 and then in verse 14 go on to say until we receive it? Let's use the example of a will. Let's say my mom leaves me her car in her will. Now, I don't have the car yet, but I've legally obtained it. Legally, it's mine. There's this already but not yet reality to our inheritance. But because it is in Christ and it's based on His merit alone, we can be confident in our our inheritance. We can be sure that we will receive this inheritance because you know, this isn't like our grandpa leaving us something in his will. This inheritance is costly. Jesus died to make sure we would obtain this inheritance. His death on the cross shores up this inheritance for those who are in Him. It is secure in Christ. So the big question is, what is our inheritance? If you go back to the original text 
There's just one word in, in Greek that is translated in our Bibles as we have obtained an inheritance. In the original, it literally means to obtain by lot. We just went through the book of Joshua and we saw the people of Israel receiving their part of the inheritance. They were appointed by lot or allotted sections of land. This carries the same meaning, but this could go two different ways. There are two thought camps on this translation. One, we could say that we are made an inheritance or we are made a heritage. God predestined us to be His possession. Psalm 33.12 backs this up. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. Or two, we could go with what most translations go with. We have obtained an inheritance. This fits with Colossians 1.12, which tells us to give thanks to the Father who has qualified us for the sharing of the inheritance of the saints. What makes this difficult to translate is the fact that both of these ideas are theologically accurate. We also see verses that point to both of these truths. They put both of these truths together. For example, listen to Jeremiah 10, 16. It says, Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance, the Lord, the host of his name. So we see that God is Jacob's portion. He is Jacob's inheritance. But also that Israel is God's inheritance. So we would be correct in saying either one of these. So which one is it? Which one is Paul talking about here in Ephesians 1? We've been looking at the spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with. For example, He elected us. He redeemed us. He gave us revelation. We see this pattern of what God has done for us, so I think it's safe to go with what God has done for us here. He has given us believers an inheritance in Christ. So what all does this inheritance entail? First of all, all the promises we see in the Old and New Testaments are for us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all the promises of God are yes in Christ. That means the promises of peace, joy, love, and goodness are fulfilled in Jesus. Also the promise of forgiveness, the promise of salvation, the promise of justification, sanctification, glorification. We can be sure these things are ours because we are in Christ. And the most beautiful of these promises, the most Assuring of these promises, the one we look forward to the most, I think, is the promise of heaven, the promise of eternal life, the fact that we will be reconciled back to God, that we know Him, that we have fellowship with Him, and that one day we'll spend an eternity with Him. And we know that we will be with Him because He fulfills all His promises in Christ. How sweet is that church? The fact that we have inherited God Himself and we get to look forward to an eternity with Him. So we see that we can be confident in our inheritance because in Jesus, in the Son, it is already a reality. 
why else can we be confident? We can be confident in our inheritance because the Father is the basis in which it rests. We can be confident in our inheritance because the Father is the basis in which our inheritance rests. Let's read verses 11 and 12. It says, In him you have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. If we've obtained this inheritance in Christ, how did we come into this inheritance? How did we come to be in Christ? We've been predestined. God the Father determined this for your life in eternity past. He chose this for your life. It was His decision for you to receive this inheritance. How comforting is that to know that this didn't start with us. At the very basis of understanding our inheritance is the fact that we have only obtained it in Christ through God's grace and appointment. Left to ourselves, we would never receive this inheritance. And besides, we do not deserve it. But by grace, God the Father predestined us to partake in this inheritance. And we can have certainty in our inheritance because God works all things according to the counsel of His will. We can be sure of this because the Father has not only predestined us to receive this inheritance, but that He works all things to make sure His plans are carried out. He is sovereign over everything. Nothing happens apart from God's sovereignty. From the big things in our lives to the small things in our lives, God is sovereign over them. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, God says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. God declares how things turn out long before they even happen. And He works everything to make sure His plans are carried out. And He does it according to the counsel of His will. God is not influenced by anything or anyone. He does as he pleases. So we can be confident in our inheritance for these reasons. Now, if I were to say that I have chosen you for an inheritance, you have every right to be skeptical. I can't work all things together to make that happen. I can't make you believe me. I can't make everything fall into place leading to this certain inheritance. Someone may get in my ear and convince me to withdraw it from you. I may find out something about you that I do not like and change my mind about this inheritance. But that's not how it is with God. It's different with Him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5 through 5 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. He has set his love on us from the foundation of the world and he will work things to make sure you receive this inheritance he has chosen for you. It's according to his purpose. It's according to the counsel of his will. And despite these truths, it's hard to trust God all of the time. You know, we tend to worry when we're not in control of things. We want to get in the driver's seat because we think we can get us where we need need to be. You know, Aaron drives all the time, but that's still, I don't like to drive, so I'll let her drive. But that still don't stop me from worrying. In our old van, I ripped the little hand thing out of the roof because she scares me. So... But we can trust God because He is good. We can trust God because He is holy and He is righteous. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. When God sets His love on us, nothing can separate us from that love. What He plans comes to fruition because that's what He purposed. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance because God predestined us to receive it and He is working all things to accomplish those plans. But He shows us one other reason we can be assured, we can be confident in our inheritance. Number three, we can be confident in our inheritance because the Spirit gives us reassurance. We can be confident in our inheritance because the Spirit gives us reassurance. Let's read verses 13 and 14 again. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. In this chapter, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, in verses 4 and 5, we see that people are predestined by God for salvation. In verse 11, we see that they are predestined for an inheritance. We saw that God is sovereign over all things and He works all things. But we see here that that does not negate human responsibility. It is our responsibility to believe the gospel. It is our responsibility to trust in Christ. And it is at that moment, the moment that we heard the gospel, the moment that we heard the word of truth and believed that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. There are a couple of things that are significant about the sealing of the Holy Spirit, but I think we need to look at what Paul's doing here in verses 12 and 13. We need to backtrack a minute because Paul is setting something up for us to see. He is showing us why this is significant for all believers. Now, if we read 12 and 13, if we're just reading through it, we might not think too much about it. But in verse 12, Paul writes, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. 
Then in verse 13, he writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. Now we can look at this two different ways. We can look at it as Paul saying in verse 12, when he says we, he's referring to himself and the believers with him. He's saying we believe first. And then you heard the gospel, the people he's writing to, the, the believers at Ephesus, he's saying, then you heard the gospel and you believed. So in effect, saying we, Paul's saying, we believed first and then you heard and you believed. But there's a second option when we look at this. And this is the one I believe holds true. This is the one that I go with. In verse 12, Paul, when he says we, were the ho- first to hope, or the first to believe, it is referring to the Jewish believers. And then in 13, when he writes, you, he is referring to Gentiles. He is saying, we the Jews believe first, and then you Gentiles, when you heard the gospel, you did also. If this is the case, why is Paul writing this here? Why is he doing this? Why is he transitioning from Jewish believers to the Gentiles? There are several, several reasons I want us to look at for this second belief that he is talking about Jews and Gentiles. The first reason is the Jews were the first to believe. There's no mistake that in the order of salvific history, the Jews were the first to believe in Christ. One commentator says that it was the more immediate heirs of the covenant of promise that believed first, such as the disciples and Paul himself. But the second reason is, in Paul's letters, he often sets up themes towards the beginning. In verse 10, we see that God is uniting all things in Christ. I think this is what we see here in verses 12 and 13, because he goes from saying, we believe first, the Jews in 12, to you believed in 13, to the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance in 14. We see the uniting of Jewish believers and Gentile believers into one body, the body of Christ. If you we're to flip over to chapter 2 of Ephesians. Let's look at verses 11 through 14 here. Ephesians 2, starting at 11. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So here he is saying the Gentiles were once far off, 
But now they have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Jesus himself has made the Jews and the Gentiles one. Then if we flip over to chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So we see this uniting theme throughout this letter. He is introducing the idea that Jewish and Gentile believers are being made one in Christ. And I think that's what he's doing here in 12 and 13. And then let's flip over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. If you remember this story in Acts, the story is about a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion. He wasn't a Jew, but it says that he was a devout man who feared God with his entire household. And one day Cornelius has a vision and the angel of the Lord told him to send a man to Joppa and bring Peter back to him. So he sends a couple of his servants and and a soldier to seek for Peter. And then the next day as Peter was praying, it said that Peter fell into a trance. The heavens opened and something like a sheet descended upon the earth. In this sheet were all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles. There came a voice that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he responded, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. But he heard the voice a second time saying, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times and was taken back into heaven. Peter didn't know what this vision meant at the time, but the men that Cornelius had sent were standing at the gate asking if Peter was there. And the Spirit told Peter that Three men were looking for him so to go without hesitation because he had sent them. So the next day they go back to Cornelius and Peter, we see his thinking right here. He tells him that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with anyone from another nation. But God told him not to call any person common or unclean. And Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And we'll pick up in verse 44. Let's read that together. Acts 10, verse 44. It says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that they, may, that they ask him to remain for some days. This reminded Peter of what had happened at Pentecost. These Gentile believers received the same gift of the Holy Spirit that they had at Pentecost. 
And then if you flip to Acts 11, Peter goes back to report these things that he had seen. And he says in verses 15 through 18, it says, As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but, with, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift, gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? What they heard, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. The Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit was proof to the Jewish believers that they had been included in God's plan of salvation. This is another reason why I'm confident that that's why Paul is making this contrast between Jewish believers and Gentiles. And he's introducing that they were part of the plan and now Christ is uniting them into one body. But I also think it's important for us as believers. One thing that it is significant about it, one thing that it shows is authentication. It shows that we belong to God. This is the proof that we are a part of God's plan for salvation. This seals ownership. This marks ownership. We are God's possession. We belong to Him. Now, often people who own cattle, they will brand them. And what they're doing is they're guarding their property from theft. It's kind of like this, but our seal is internal. Our hearts contain the seal. The day we believe, we receive this seal. The second significant thing about being sealed with the Holy Spirit is the fact that verse 14 tells us He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Some translations even say that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Now we know what happens if you pay a down payment on a car and you don't pay the rest of the payments. You're going to hear some bumping around in the middle of the night and when you look out the window, the repo man's going to be driving off of your car. But God's given us this down payment. We know that God's faithful. Not only is He telling us about this future event that's going to happen, He's given us a glimpse of what that will be like by giving us the Holy Spirit. And if this is a guarantee, then we know that it's going to happen. The Spirit is preserving us. He keeps God's people saved. He keeps us believing and trusting in Christ. And even when we sin, He corrects and convicts us of that sin and brings us back on track. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. We see this unbroken chain here. God is not careless. No one falls through the cracks. Those He predestined, He will see through all the way to the end. We are eternally secure in Christ. 
And God blesses us with this inheritance as all the other blessings to the praise of His glory. There's nothing left for us to do but praise God. There's this overlapping theme in verses 3-14 through of getting grace and giving praise. So we can't let the gifts distract us from the giver of these gifts. Let's praise God for these many blessings that we've received. Just think of what a glorious celebration it's going to be when we stand before God. But we can be so sure of our inheritance that we shouldn't wait until then to praise Him. We can live in that joy now. We can live in that peace now. We are to live for His glory now and forevermore. We can be confident in our inheritance because in the Son it is already a reality. Because the Father has predestined us and is working, out, working it out in our lives and He seals us with the Spirit which protects and preserves us. The theme of this whole section is every member of the Trinity working out the salvation of those who the Father has predestined. In chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, we see the Father chose and predestined the elect. In verses 7 through 10, we see the Son came to redeem those whom the Father predestined. And then today we saw the moment that we believed we were sealed with the Spirit as a guarantee. God is gathering a people for Himself, for His own possession. And if we are in Christ, we are a part of that plan. The triune God motivated by love for us has reached down and showed us unmerited favor. Salvation from the first to the last comes to lost sinners by grace alone. Doesn't that give you confidence, church? Doesn't that make you confident in your inheritance? Should. So what does that mean for our lives now? What can we do to apply these truths? Number one, receive this inheritance. If you don't know this reality or if you're not sure of your inheritance, you can be. We talked about the sovereignty of God. We saw that God works all things. But we also saw that it is our responsibility to believe. So know that we are sinful by nature. We have rebelled against God. We've broken His standard, but in His grace, He sent His Son Jesus to live a perfect, sinless life. He died a death that we deserved, and He absorbed the wrath of God. He was buried and on the third day rose again. And if you repent and believe this gospel, you can be reconciled back to God. You can have God Himself as your inheritance. So receive this inheritance. Be reassured. On the day when the world seems dark, and there are many days that seem that way, if you know my community was just rocked with tragedy, I saw hopelessness firsthand. But for us, church, we have a hope to look forward to. On the days when your anxieties rise, on the days when you don't feel like getting out of the bed, on the days when you see the consequences of the fall in the sickness of a loved one, let the truth 
that we have an inheritance comfort you. The one day we will be with God where there is no more suffering. And on that day when you are in a fight of your life with your sin, remember it's not by your merit that you have received this inheritance. Let the grace of God encourage you to keep fighting. Be reassured by the fact that you have an inheritance in Christ. Be reassured by the fact that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. And be reassured by the fact that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance. And last, be excited. We have inherited God Himself. One day we're going to spend eternity with Him. If you could get excited about Auburn coming back and beating LSU yesterday, you can get excited about this. Let that drive you to tell others. Be quick to share the gospel. Let this grace that God has lavished on us lead us to have thankful hearts that are full of praise. And on the flip side, let us repent of being so caught up in this world that our inheritance slips our minds. Repent of the times that you are more caught up in obtaining the things of the world rather than inheriting everything that God has for you. You've obtained an inheritance in Christ. Let's live in that reality. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the grace that you have given us in our lives. We're thankful that you didn't wait on us to approach you. We didn't you didn't wait on us to seek after you. But you reached down in grace that you set our salvation in motion. You work all things according to your plans. You gave us your son as a sacrifice on our behalf and you seal us to make sure we make it to the end. Lord, we're thankful for this inheritance you have given us. And I pray that each and every day we would live in this reality that we would be reassured by it, that we would be excited about it. And I pray that it would be evident in our lives that we are living for something greater than ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.